again, everybody. And Swing Thoughts on the radio and, of course, the uh, podcast by the same name available on iTunes and go to our Facebook page. I'm Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, obviously. Uh, golf spiritual leader when it comes to uh, this podcast, along with my very good friend and mental performance coach extraordinaire, uh, leading webinars and leading minds around uh, North America, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca, and uh, so much to uh, talk about today. I'm still a little bit giddy from uh, uh, our, our face-to-face encounter last week. We got to hang out with each other. For the first time this year, which first was time in 2020, <laughs> was when's the last time I saw you? I know, God, 2019 sometime. <laughs> uh, true, I, I, when we saw each other in the parking lot of the golf course, I was like, "Look at you, O'Connor! I like the cut of your jib, young man." Um, and it was great, and uh, and of course we're we took some pictures. We just look. You look great. I just starting to and look. By old. the end of this, and by the end of this podcast, I'll figure out what my jib is. Um, you look good. I just start. I just look. Uh, I just look. You look weird. great for a man. Uh, I'm a very dotage. old man. I'll tell you what. I was going to say we were resplendent in our uh, tailor made uh, stuff. Our golf. Our golf cl- uh, clubs all tailor made. Uh, of course, this program brought to you by uh, the Tailor Made Performance Labs. Uh, check them out. Visit TailorMadeFitting.ca. It is the ultimate fitting experience. And don't forget the all-new Sim and Sim Max drivers. Reshape your game today. Visit TailorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the new Shape in Motion. That's what Sim stands for. Shape in Motion family of TailorMade products. Uh, let's get right to it. Our guest today, returning, and as you mentioned, too, before we started recording... And by the way, great to be here with you on the radio on TSN, uh, 1150 in Hamilton, um, making his second appearance, which makes him an official FOS, friend of the show. He caddied uh, on the PGA Tour for uh, Victor Perez, is a consultant and a uh, mindful, I call I call him the mindful caddy. He uh, is the founder of the Mindful Sports Group, and Joe Shuchat, everybody, Shu. Shoe Shat is joining us once again. Hey, Joe, thanks for doing this. No, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. You know, a lot of times people watch a caddy and a player talking things over before the player on television goes to hit the shot. Can you give us some, like, take us inside those conversations, and then we'll talk about the context of how professionals approach playing the game mindfully and how amateurs do, but just give us a little bit of uh, some of the stuff that you guys are talking about before a player pulls the trigger. Yeah, I mean, the, the conversations over each individual shot really start on, on you know, Monday or Tuesday, whenever the player really shows up. I think, you know, you look at you look at different types of grasses that you're playing on week to week. I think you're looking at different wind variations, um, you know, we use the compass in the in the yardage book to kind of look at the overarching wind direction. So if it's out of the you know the northeast or the southwest, you you try and figure out what direction that's in, and then you know feel it out and look at things like that. You discuss things like lie, and then from a caddy's perspective, it's more so looking at you know how what word choices the player actually using when they're discussing this shot. I think that it's important for a caddy to understand the anxieties and the insecurities around the specific shot. Whereas, you know, when you're catting for a PGA Tour player, if you're in the middle of the fairway, you see that there's no mud on the ball, 
you know, for, for the most part, the player's fairly confident. When you put yourself, you know, in, in you know, a Bermuda rough with, you know, a frisky-looking lie, you know, you just got to kind of pay attention to, to the tone, the word choice, um, you know, and, and again, it's, it's no real, it's not really different than even an amateur trying to play a shot at the end of the day. It's you're, you're kind of looking at all of the same variations of things. There's just typically more of a skill, skill level, a uh, higher skill level, and there's probably more shots that a professional can play. Well, <clears throat> what I want to touch on is, and Tim and I are going to talk a lot about this later in our second segment, is about, you know, taking your turn when it's your turn. You see a lot of discussion, caddy and player, and, and you have to sometimes, when you're an amateur, be your own caddy. And then when I see the player go over the shot, they're pretty quick. Once the decision has been made, but they really take their time deciding what club, where to hit it. They're very specific. You guys are talking about just off that target, land it 116, roll out 120, whatever it is. And that's what I think a great takeaway to start with for an amateur player is to consider as much as you can and then go hit the shot. Whereas a lot of amateurs are still kind of not sure if it's a 7 or an 8 or, you know, or, or not even sure what shot they're trying to hit. Yeah, exactly. I think that I think writing all of that stuff down. I know that when I was a junior golfer, for example, I used to make lists of every single thing that could cause my ball to not do what I had desired it to do. You know, so whether it was you know the lie or the wind, and I think that just putting all of that stuff down on a list and just reading that before you go and play. Um, I know, I know, with Victor, for example, he's got he he writes everything down in his journal, but everything comes back to the same principles when he's going through his decision-making process. And the more that you kind of have this same process every single time, consistency makes things easier. So I think what's really interesting here is that what you're saying is that professionals, and I would say elite amateurs as well, they are largely focused on the preparation that they put into the shot. And they do all that work. As Howard says, they take their time. They, they they do the, the math, whatever the configuring, they commit to the shot, and then they hit it. And and wherever it goes, generally they try to accept it. But I'd like you to just address that. What I think is the, the key premise here is that it's so much is placed. The, the pros focus on the preparation. Amateurs is on the result. So just speak to that. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a great point. I think when you, you know, the, the conversations that I feel like we're talking about here are mostly into greens. They're mostly approach shots. I think that when I look at, you know, when I've been out there on tour, the amount of preparation that goes into it, you know, these conversations don't happen as much on tees because there's a game plan. You know, you know where the fat part of the fairway is and you know that it's a, it's a three wood to, to the run out and that's the max that you're going to hit on that shot. So there's a lot more pre-round information that's, that's kind of dealt with. And I know that with Victor, when we're eating breakfast, it's, you know, first hole we're going to hit this, you know, second hole we're going to hit this. And don't get me wrong, things change, winds change, you know, feelings change. You don't like the way you swing it on the range. It, it creeps into the back of your mind. You don't hit that club. But at the end of the day, the amount of preparation when these guys are playing, you know, they're playing for their livelihood. So, mm -hmm. you know, no matter, you know, the, the club championship, as much as you love it and it means the world to you, it ain't putting food on your table at night. So the amount of work that goes in Monday through Wednesday and in, in hitting all of the, tea, you know, 
sometimes they play different tees and you have to guess which tees they're going to set you up on on Thursday, Friday versus Saturday, Sunday and, and things like that. So there's, there's a lot of preparation. There's a lot of Google Earth going on. There's a lot, you know, there's, there's a lot of preparation. You know, it's interesting. I've played at this uh, course I'm at. I think this is my seventh or eighth year. And every once in a while, it's my home course. You know, I'll get a putt and I'm thinking, you know, shouldn't I know how this breaks by now? And, and, I, and I'm, I'm lazy because I think, you know, one day I should just write down how this breaks because there's guys out there doing this for a living that know they've, they've tried those putts. They've got it written down. Even that alone would help the club golfer just to note from time to time, oh, that's where that goes. And that's all part of preparation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the tour pros get these books that have, you know, numbers on, on the degrees and variations and slopes. And, and experience, to your point, changes everything. Like, I remember at the Colonial, I asked Fluff how many years he had caddied at the Colonial, and he goes, 40-something, I don't even know. So it's, you know, it, to some degree, could, you know, showing up for the first time against a guy who's been there 40 years, you're never going to get to know it as much as him. But, you know, they did, you know, they do have a few extra numbers, but they they putt every you know in every direction on every green you know monday through wednesday that nothing nothing should really come up and be like i didn't know that was right to left mm-hmm. you know? joe i'd like to ask you about about approach shots my sense is when i talk to a lot of amateurs they're aiming they're trying to hit a straight shot to the pin what do professionals do are they generally trying to like in terms of their course management to to a pin are they generally trying to to shape a shot to say more of the of the center of the green um and I, i'm i'm not talking about a wedge in their hands that's often when they'll take dead aim but what's what's the difference between an amateur's approach on an approach shot and a professional's um, you know, that's, that's a great question. Very rarely would I say that, a, that a, a tour player, um, doesn't have a very clear idea of what they're trying to get out of that shot. So, you know, with, with a seven iron in your hand, it's possible that the tour player says, I'm just going to go right at it. Um, I think the best players in the world, seven iron down, they're probably going to go right at it more often than not. But at the same time, they're playing, you know, especially on the PGA Tour, you're playing trickier golf courses. There's typically mounds and ridges that you can use. Um, they're, they're playing a percentage off the flag. You know, it's, um, you know, it's very, the, you know, like we've been saying, the discussion is there. Everything is, you know, I'm going to start it here and it's going to fade two yards and it'll hit the green and hopefully just go towards the hole. And even if I have 20 feet, that's okay. Um, you know, and then when you get into longer shots, when you're going into a par five, sometimes it's more important what the leave is than, than hitting it to two feet. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, you have a three wood in your hand, the likelihood that you're going to hit a three wood to five feet, as great as some of these guys are, it's, it's not necessarily realistic. And sometimes missing it on the right side to a left pin makes things a little bit easier. So you'll be more aware of some of that stuff. Isn't that interesting, too? Because I, I, I don't remember the exact statistics, but... Even at the tour player level, from 175 to 200 yards in, their proximity, I think, is an average of 35 or 40 feet. And the reason I bring it up is because so many amateurs listening, you know, they'll have a shot to the green of 175 or 180 yards, and their expectations are way out of whack. And, and, you know, there's 
You know, because for a lot of us, just getting it on or near the green would be great. You know, or even uh, even short in the right spot. But a lot of times, guys will take those shots on. They'll make a mistake with a bigger club and find themselves in trouble where if they just sort of was like, hey, I'm 180 yards from the green. If I get it near the front, that's good enough for me because at the tour level, they're only hitting it on average 35 feet away. Yeah, and that doubles when you're in the rough. I think that's kind of the other misconception is like, yeah, 35 to 40 feet from 180 yards for an amateur golfer would be incredible. Yeah. But put them in the rough and ask them to judge the lie and the wind. And, you know, you put a hybrid in your hand out of the rough and you're, you're trying to do all kinds of stuff with it. it. It doesn't typically work out. And I think, you know, I think one of the interesting things is sometimes in those, in those, the tour players would rather have a full shot. So as opposed to, you know, you're in the trees and you're going to pitch it out and try and get it to 40 yards. Victor would prefer to have like 85 yards. Yeah. For you. He can kind of finesse a wedge in there and it's, there's more he's practiced that shot more you know those those odd numbered yardages nobody really ever practices well it's funny you say the hybrid because my, my older brother called me up a few, a few weeks ago he said you know i'm having trouble i you know can you teach me how to hit my hybrid from the rough or from from around 200 yards i go that's not the point the point is you shouldn't be trying to hit a hybrid from the rough from 200 yards hit your seven iron and then pitch on from there right and to that point it's typically it's a 200 yard carry you know, yeah. I think that's the other thing that people don't take into consideration. 200 yards isn't 200 yards. It's 180 with 20 yards a roll, or is it 200 yards? I got to fly at 200 yards. And I think that's where I see a lot of amateurs. I know my dad, for example, is, you know, not that I'm throwing my dad under the bus here, <laughs> but a lot of the times, you know, it's like he's 200 yards away from the green. He goes, oh, yeah, I can do this, this shot. And it's, he doesn't realize that he's only going to fly at about 165 and he's going to end up in a bunker and his bunker play isn't worth a damn. So, right, exactly. You know, it's... You know, it's little things like that where if you just kind of played it a little bit differently, maybe hit a perfect, hit a perfect. Stick hey, on. Joe, your mic just cut out for us, bud. You know, this it's okay because everyone listening has been on Zoom calls where this has happened. Uh, are yeah, you back? My phone rang. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, but you're, it's it's different than what you had going on before. How about now? Oh, almost. We're almost back. Try again. I think you're getting there. Oh, there you are. Just talk. Speak to us, Joe. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you're just going to speak, just going to have to project like you're out, like use well, your teacher outside voice. Uh, yeah, whatever just happened is, has kicked out your microphone on those headphones. Uh, it happens oh, all yeah. the time. Um, why don't you, Tim, what were you going to ask Joe while he resets his, uh, his mic? Well, I was going to ask him about that whole idea of, of do professionals generally shape all their approach shots generally let's, let's talk about let's let's say seven iron up you know to to two iron or whatever pros hit these days um are they generally shaping it or are they how much are they actually just trying to hit a, a dead straight shot so this you, you give me a chance to tell a great story here so victor got into the french open in 2018 he was playing on the challenge tour he was having a, a pretty good year on the challenge tour and he got into the french open which at the time was a rolex series event it was being played at golf national which is where the the Ryder cup was being played later in that year so a lot of a lot of the stronger players ended up flying over and, and kind of doing that and, and you know to, to in victor's defense he was a little bit enamored with everybody that was there and you know playing in a big time event like that and you know i i related to a lot of those canadian kids playing in the canadian open for that matter and he missed the cut um but victor's a learner victor went back on the saturday to practice and jimmy johnson was standing there he caddies for justin thomas 
And Victor was trying to play perfect golf up to that point. You know, dog leg left, sit and draws, dog leg right, sit and fades, and, and trying to trying to be perfect. And Victor decided to go up to Jimmy Johnson and say, hey, how does Justin play golf? And he goes, it's pretty straightforward. He hits it left to right off of every tee. And if he's got a wedge in his hand, he goes right at it. Otherwise, he just kind of plays it for the middle of the green. Yeah. But most of the shots are shaped left to right. And I think for Victor, that was an eye-opener for him because it was, I can just fade it left. I can fade it all day long. It's my preferred shot shape. I'm far more comfortable doing it. I'm not trying to shape, you know, a three iron on a hole, you know, or, you know around a corner and things like that. Um, you know, so, so it was, it, you, you hear Jimmy Johnson say, yeah, it's just left to right off the tee and right at it with a wedge in your hand and bang, you're number two in the world. And, you know, basically since that conversation, Victor's kind of been on a roll because it's simplified. You know, he's trying to be perfect and trying to make things harder. And it was just play to your strength. I can, I can hit this shot every time. Why don't I just hit it? Mm-hmm. My gosh, there's so much wisdom in that. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, it, you know, and it's think, funny how the old it, guys simplify things like that. The, the guys that have been out there for 40 years just do this. And it's, why don't I just do that? Oh, exactly. Uh, one of my heroes was Bruce Litsky. Always that little yeah. over the top pull with a fade. Just play that. He never even went to the range because he had that so down. But right. I, I think what you're saying is is huge. Like I have a I have a client who talked about this fade he hits, and of course he's trying to hit a draw. I say, dude, <laughs> if that thing is as dependable as the sun coming up every day, that is a massive advantage to use it. But so many players are always searching for this thing of, of perfection and. In your words, making it complex. Yeah, exactly. It's the age-old ball, the age-old ball striker question of: Would you rather hit it to two feet, a little bit clanky, or would you rather flush it, make that noise that we've all been trying to attain our whole life to fifteen feet? Yeah. You know, there's there's kind of that trade-off of of we we overvalue purity in a sense. We we you know. We look for perfection, and it's it's unnecessary. Well, it's interesting too because I you know I I, I haven't been around a lot of tour players as much as you have, but I, I've been around enough to know that they're not striking it as purely as we think. And Tim and I have talked about this on the show for four years. When we watch golf on television Saturday and Sunday, you're seeing the best people that do that thing having a great week. And I, and I had this conversation, Tim, recently with somebody about, you know, we have a regular men's night every Wednesday. And I was like, one week I shot 72, and the next week I shot 80. And I, I was kind of, before I started beating myself up, I'm like, yeah, but tour players do that every week. One week you've got it going, the next week you don't. You're not hitting it perfectly all the time. So sometimes I think as amateurs, we have this false positive or this weird narrative, <clears throat> pardon me, that... You have to be perfect all the time, or you're not a good player. Yeah, that's you know th- that's kind of the, the the funny thing about this game, where you know Dustin Johnson won in his last start, and he's you know four putted the first hole today. So you know the the it's golf at the end of the day. It, it makes no sense. It's part of the reason that we keep getting drawn back here. And I think you know the the thing that it keeps coming back to the the higher the level the player gets, the more it has to do with the mental side of things. And, and how do you feel? You know, sometimes you, you put these expectations on yourself where I'm supposed to shoot 62 today and you're just not going to get enjoyment when you put these unrealistic expectations on you. 
you know, I would hope that, you know, going through this virus and everything that we've had to go through, like just enjoying the fact that you can be out there, you know, and, and in Victor's case, doing it for a living and, and making an unbelievable living doing it, you know, just the gratitude that you have towards that, I think is, is what's important. And just look, you're going to hit bad shots. There's, there's nothing worse than making compounding mistakes based on a poor mental approach. That to me is the, is the absolute worst thing you can do as a golfer is make a mistake and then let your attitude affect the way that you're going to hit your next one. You know, it just, look, we've all, we've all pumped it in a pond. We've all, you know, <laughs> that's right. Hit ground balls. We've, we, everybody, you know, I've seen guys do things that are top 50 in the world that you can't believe that they hit those shots, but where they're exceptional is at letting it go yeah. and, and just kind of moving on. Well, that's why you're friend of show, because you speak our language. <laughs> I mean, this is, in essence, what we've been saying for years. If you can let go of the expectations, if you don't play in hope and fear, and you have an element of gratitude that you're out there and you can play this game, wow, that sets you up for for so much of the things that can happen. But I, I really think that that is – so at the end of the day, how do you think pros, um, you know, with their caddies – you know, let's say a week didn't go so well. Do how much of it is? That, are they like frowning on the whole flight on the way home? Are they kicking their lockers around? How do pros accept when days don't go like they'd hoped they they went? Experience helps a lot. Um, I think I think every player is a little bit different. Some guys take it a little bit more personally than others. I would say that most guys that I've been around when they've missed cuts, they've taken ownership for it. Typically there's, you know, some area of statistic that shows you, you sucked in this area. Um, it's very rare that a guy hits it great, chips it well and puts it great and goes home on Friday. Yeah. Um, Funny you know, how that so works I, I, out, huh? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's most of the time they're very aware of those sorts of things. And I think that it's, you know, understanding the reality of the situation. They're, they're most of the time they're, not as as beat up as you think they would be. Well, as you say, experience and uh, understanding that it's a game that has you know all kinds of you know vagaries to it, and every week you know every day we as human beings feel different, and every week it might be you know Morikawa. Uh, I want to talk about him later, Tim, but you know Morikawa had uh, set that record. Other than Tiger, he hit he had twenty two cuts in a row made. On the PGA Tour, then he missed his first one a few weeks ago. But, you know, there's a guy, that's the exception. Somebody who's that consistent, because even at the highest level, it's all about inconsistency. And the takeaway for the amateurs listening is that why should we expect any different? You know, like you said, we've all hit top drives and bang one into the trees. If those guys aren't making every single cut every week, what do we expect? Yeah, exactly. I think I think the other thing to look at too when you look at pro golfers is let's just say the average professional golfer that you watch on television plays 25 times a year. They're going to put themselves in contention on a high end probably 5 times a year. They'll maybe win one time and they'll have a, you know a top 5 or a top 10 maybe four other times over the course of that entire season. You know, I've I've talked to JT, you know, who caddies for Victor full time about it, and he says sometimes he'd prefer to miss the cut than come T fifty five, because of the you know you're playing twenty five weeks a year. That's half the year you're in competition. You know, the other half the year you're practicing to prepare for the competition. 
you know, in some cases, if you're not going to be in contention, he'd rather conserve his energy and go to the next one, especially if it's like you're playing three out of four weeks or, or things like that. You know, there's, there's, you know, daily fantasy players probably hate for me to say things like that. But, <laughs> you know, it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's the, the premise of why these guys do it is they want to put themselves in a position to, to win that golf tournament and have that, that fire come up that, you know, we all, we've all tried and put ourselves in to shoot that greatest round ever or win the tournament or things like that. And, you know, that's, that's what it's about to them. So if they miss a cut, they're, they're usually okay. Well, listen, Joe, thank you very much. You made the cut. This is a definite, uh, top five, maybe top two. I don't know what your finish was, but Joe Shushat, thank you very much for, uh, doing the show again. We certainly appreciate it. Always great checking in with you. Okay. Yeah, hey, really appreciate it, guys. And if I can do anything for you, just let me know. You're a good man, Joe. All right, thanks, man. Awesome. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yep. Talk it's to you uh, Swing you Thoughts are. here on TSN 1150, brought to you by TaylorMade. We'll be right back. Meantime, sound of the river, you stop and you hold everything. A band is blowing Dixie. And uh, welcome back to our second segment here on TSN 1150 Hamilton. I'm Humble Howard, Humble and Fred Show, humbleandfredradio.com, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. It's great to be with Coach Tim, golf spiritual leader. Uh, good chat there with a profession, former professional caddy, mindful, the mindful caddy, Joe Shushat. Uh, this program brought to you by uh, TaylorMade Golf. Wow, I I love being able to kind of dip a toe in the waters of the, of the professional game and and understand like what kind of what's really going on at that level because that was a lot of inside stuff. I, oh, yeah. I I find it fascinating, and we can just take so much great learning from it. Um, yeah, I I agree. Uh, I want to bring up something in a second. The all new Sim and Sim Max fairways experience lower center of gravity. And higher launch, visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca to learn about the V-Steel Soul and uh, multi-material construction. You asked him a question, uh, and this is where I'll begin our discussion. Um, <laughs> you asked him a question about shaping the ball. And um, he had an interesting story about Victor Perez talking to Justin Thomas's caddy, longtime guy, Jimmy Johnson. About, you know, how does Justin approach the game? And Jimmy said, well, we keep it simple. We hit the same shot off every tee. Um, when we have a wedge in our hands, we go for every pin. In between, it's just, you know, get it around, you know, just get it around. And, uh, you know, Justin Thomas, a very, you know, obviously super talented kid. The reason I wanted to talk about shaping shots versus trying to hit the ball straight, and this is kind of where we had our conversation uh, when we played golf together last Thursday, um, too many amateurs, I think, try and hit balls straight, like on the practice range, where it's a flat lie, a constant wind, mostly on a tee. But whatever it is, it, it's, um, I, I don't want to say a false positive. It's, a, it's an artificial environment. Absolutely. 
And if you're not, whether it's trying to shape a ball right to left or left to right really isn't the point, but it's trying to hit it somewhere. And I'll finish by saying I played with a professional golfer uh, yesterday. Very fine player. Um, Not a tour player, but a pro. And we had this discussion. I, I asked him, where are you trying to hit that shot? And he's like, you know, I'm almost embarrassed. I don't really, I didn't really have a target. And I said, you know, as Rotella said, if you can't articulate what you're trying to do and where you're trying to send that ball on every shot, then you're just like, who knows where it's going to go? You'll constantly be surprised. Whereas what we talked about um, during our little session last week is at least have some intention. Yeah, well, that plays to, I mean, and we have an intention and everything. You don't get in your car without knowing where you're going to go. You know, if you're in your car focused, well, you know, I've not been doing very well at making my left turns. <laughs> you know, I need to get more right hand into it. You, yeah, you're going right. to crash. Yeah. Today's, I'm only making right hand turns today. That's right. Well, I think that's actually what UPS drivers do. No, that's exactly. a little insight to, yeah, to make it quicker. But anyways, um, same thing. Our, we we're, we're as humans. We're based on our intention. Where do we want to go? And it's the same thing on the golf course. And I think amateurs think, well, I'm not really good enough to hit it anywhere specifically. You know what? If you know an analogy, I would say is, you know, I'm no good at darts, but I'm still trying to hit the bullseye. You know, I don't have the ability to do that, but it's still my intention. And I think a lot of course management stuff, and that's kind of what we're going to get into in this segment, a lot of course management stuff that eludes amateurs, they think because they're not skilled, but a lot of it is subtle things like what what Joe brought up. If you have a 200-yard shot, uh, like he was talking about his father, oh, I know I can hit my hybrid or my brother, go and hit it 200 yards, but in actual fact, you don't. You hit it about 175 or 180 in the air, and that brings all kinds of trouble into play. And I will tell you, the better player I play with, myself included, if I can say that humbly... You I, can definitely say that. I know pretty close. I'm not like a guy on tour, but I'm... You know, I don't need it to... Is it 163 or 164? I know generally how far my ball carries with each club. And that's the thing I think a lot of us could benefit from, so that if you have a 200-yard shot, you're like, okay, I'm going to hit this ball that goes 175, runs out 10, and I'll be in front of the green. And, and as I said to you when we were playing the other day, when the hole is in front of you, you always have a chance. When you're playing from the sides, that's when things get uh, a bit murky. Absolutely. Well, again, that speaks to what Joe was saying about preparation. I mean, that was very interesting. And that, to me, that's some of that inside stuff of how the pros, the preparation they do, like even talking about, you know, the different grass, the wind. Obviously, you're playing, most people generally play the same course week in, week out. But it's it's knowing things like that about how far the ball goes. The other piece that comes to me about particularly, we're talking about the, uh, you know, 200-yard shot from the rough. And it is, can you actually hit that, you know, eight out of ten times? Yeah. Can you actually do do you do you feel confident standing over the ball or are you playing in a sense of hope and fear? Or, you know, we've talked about this before in terms of a lot of golfers as opposed to, you know, they, they have expectations that are unrealistic. It's almost like they're more aspirational than 
um, being in the present moment. It's like I aspire to hit my 7-iron 175, which I did once on a downwind par 3, but generally <laughs> it goes about 150. So You know what I mean? Well, so why not hit it 150? Yeah, who did we have on recently that talked about be aware of your limitations? Right. And I think that's what I'm speaking to, and I'll give you a perfect example. Um, last weekend was my senior club C. Played, in essence, kind of a practice round on Friday. On a 15th hole, I had a pretty good round going in my practice round, and I hit a hybrid, left it right, hit the tree, ball's gone, double. In the real tournament, I, I had the same, I had about 210 yards in, and I went, you know, can I hit this eight, eight out of ten times with utter confidence? No. I hit about an eight iron, I hit a sand wedge, walked away with a whole home par. You know, pars aren't going to hurt you. Bogeys don't really sting. It's the doubles and triples that always muck up a score. Right. And a lot of times, if, you're, if, you're worst shot, if your worst score on the day is a triple, and on, on the drive home, you're wondering, you know, what could I have done differently? Coach Tim, that's a perfect example. You know, maybe you shouldn't have gone for the green just because it was sort of close. You're always better off to, you know, play safe, play on, and then move on. Because that's yeah. where the score is. You know, exactly. we, we've talked about this recently, too, about Doolin, our friend from Orlando. And one of the things he first taught me was, when we first started talking, was about being a score farmer. And and that's what it means to farm your score. Because, you know, yeah, once in a while we all want to sort of maybe show off a shot. But in reality, if we, if we talk... Because the golfers are like this. They're like, oh, you know, I really... You know, I don't really care about the score. Well, then that's fine. Then don't complain when you shoot a million. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Like, guys will say that, but I know they're lying. They do care about the score. But if you really care about it, you'll put ego aside and just play to fat parts of the course and just accept a bogey is a good score on some holes. You know, I yeah, have that. Yeah, and the course sometimes will give something to you. You knock it at 20 feet, and you, you, you knock the occasional putt in for birdie. Yeah, wow. or par. Yeah, and, and, and the thing, too, is that people say, well, you know, okay, it, if I hit a hybrid, if I don't hit the hybrid, uh, I'm not playing aggressively. I want to make birdies. Well, again, it comes to pick your spots. So if you find yourself on a par four and you got a wedge in your hand, eh, then maybe that's the time to take dead aim Yeah, for your birdie. So it's just being selective but also being aware of what your limitations are and what's probable given your level of confidence and the way you've been hitting it. I want to talk about your uh, tournament round because for the rest of this uh, segment today, I I want to talk about, and I want the takeaway to be, uh, and again, it's on the heels of having a professional tour-level caddy on our show today. I I want people to understand in the next few minutes that if you're trying to score your best, even if it's your Saturday morning game, that you can play like a tour player plays to a degree. You know, you're not holding people up. But in, in that, they play the percentages more of the time. Even someone, you know, with my handicap, you know, I learned a lesson uh, from my friend Paul Henrik between the first and second round of our club championship. You know, I described to him a couple of, you know, doubles that I made and he said well tell me where you know so I was short of the green I had mishit my second shot in a par four and I had a tough little uphill 
half flop shot to a near pin, and I was trying to be cute, and I, I didn't hit it very well. Now I still had to chip up, and I chipped up five feet past and missed the, and all of a sudden I made a double. And he said to me, because you were trying to make it, you know, you don't, he said, you don't need to make par there. What you're trying to do is not make any more than five. Exactly. And, and so what I would say, the takeaway is, you know, if you've made, if you're out of position, then just get back into position because as you just said, sometimes putts go in the next day, the second round, I had the almost same shot on the golf does that. It's funny how it does that. It'll give, yeah. it'll give you the same shot and say, now what are you going to do? Smart guy. And all I said to myself was just get this on the green, take the 10 and 12 footer and just move on. And lo and behold, he has this other saying I love, good follows good. And mm-hmm. I happened to sink the putt. So I made four, where the day before trying to be a superhero, I made six. Now, that was kind of the theme of our get-together last Thursday. I sent you on your way to your first round of the club championship. So let's talk over, let's talk over a little bit about how you approached that round. And you had a very nice score under tournament conditions. Yeah, I did. I had an, I had an eighty-one, which was okay, and that was my um, yeah under under tournament conditions. And I, I think that the amount that I've played this year, all that. Uh, th- what I took into that round was I was just going to hit. I my main thing was swing aggressively at conservative targets. Mm-hmm. That was a, that was, and I just wanted to feel this sense of um, a greater sense of freedom, and that I would. That was basically it. I was just going to hit really smart shots that I commit to all day. So that was essentially it. If I had if I had death left, then I'm teeing up on the left side of the tee, hitting away from it. Uh, if you know, hitting an approach. If it's if if the pin is cut to the front right, and there's a bunker there, and maybe a lake in front, I'm playing to that middle of the green, or maybe even to the back, because I don't hit it purely all the time. So. So I'm going to give myself the best chance I can of of making you know a um, of making a pretty good score by being fairly conservative, and that and that just it just so much lowered my sense of anxiety, um, and quite frankly, I didn't have the normal kind of first tee jitters that I've had in championship rounds. Well, there's so much in that. I mean. You know, if you are trying to hit a shot that you know within your golfing soul, you have no business trying. You're, of course, your anxiety level is going to go, you know, go up. I've told the story of playing with my older brother. I keep referencing Dave, but it's like if you've got three wood over a pond to a par five, of course you're going to grip it a little tighter. But if I put an eight iron in your hand to lay up, Oftentimes, our layup shots are our best because we feel the anxiety level is down. And what you just described is every player in every round, even if it's not a championship round. You know, you you play to the fat part of the green, or you're you're hoping that if if it gets somewhere around the green, then you're you're not your expectations are lower. So of course, your stress level is lower. Yeah, and, and so much of it is around being able to just make a free swing. Yeah. Just allow that club to move and and to release and and just have your swing. You know, obviously, you know, as someone who's like um, historically, I'm about a five point five index. Uh, right now, I'm at like around a seven, but it's com- it's it's coming back. But um, 
is knowing that, you know, I'm going to hit the, the occasional. Well, the shot that's been getting me in trouble for the last year has been a left shot. So I gave wide berth to the left side of that golf course. And there's a few times I was aiming on, on the right edge of a green. And I pulled it just a little bit. Uh, I was golden. <laughs> yeah. So I hit a bad shot, in essence, pulled it, and had a great shot at birdie. Funny how that works out. You know, that's so perfect because, like, you know, guys will say, oh, I'm gonna, I like to hit a draw uh, right to left shot. And good players all struggle with the ball going left when you don't want it. But if your strategy is solid, like... If I'm going to draw a ball, I'm aiming down the right-hand side of the fairway. If there's trouble left, I'm aiming in the rough. Because if it goes straight, I'm in the right rough. If I pull it, if I draw it, it's in the fairway. If I pull hook it, it's still not going to go where the trouble is. And that's a great takeaway for people listening. You all know your tendencies. If you're a slicer and there's trouble right and you slice the ball, then you have you, shrill, you really should be aiming so far left that if you super sliced it, it would barely get to the right-hand side of the fairway. But most of us don't do that. I had a couple shots yesterday in our men's. I didn't play terribly, but I hit a couple shots where afterwards I looked at the divot and I was like, oh, I wasn't aimed anywhere near as far left as I thought I was. And that's why the ball went there. Um, and I think that's another thing. It's like you really got to check, really be careful where you're aiming. Because a lot of us make mistakes like that, that have, and you think it's your swing after. You go, oh, my swing is broken. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, again, we referenced our, uh, Joe Shushat. He, it was so interesting talking to him about the preparation that tour players go into. It doesn't mean you have to take all bloody day. Yeah. No, they, they do their, and you can do all this work, all the ciphering, <laughs> if you will, um, while other people are hitting. Uh, you can do it briskly, but do it. Yeah. You know, I think Paul Doolin was saying that if you don't, if you're standing over a shot and you're not really sure where the wind's coming in, then you better step out and and reevaluate so that you can commit to the shot. You've done everything you can. Very cool, he said. He wrote a list of things that could go wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, so what he's doing, and you go through this really quickly at, when you have a very good pre-shot routine. One of the things, so I'm going to drone on a little bit longer here because you commended me a few times on our round at Glencairn last week where you saw me taking practice swings beside the ball rather than behind it. Because when I was beside the ball, I was feeling the ground. Mm-hmm. You know, the, say the, if the ball was in the rough, the, the club traveling through that rough and getting used to that feeling of resistance or whatever's there so I could hit that so I could prepare in light of the actual shot. And so that's the preparation we're talking about is and taking your taking what? Taking your turn when it's your turn. Just going through it, being prepared. And then once you've done that, you let the shot go and wherever it goes, it goes. You know, so many guys, we say men because you know, I don't know women's egos are different I uh, in general, but certainly around golf. Whereas Men become sort of self-conscious, I think, about stepping away because they know their buddies are going to bug them or whatever. But so many times in a round of golf, and again, it happened to me yesterday where I chose the club, but the lie was different when I got 
to the ball, and I didn't make the adjustment. I just went, well, I'm good. I'll just hit it. And it, it just didn't work out. And I was like, oh, well, that wasn't my golf swing. It was my preparation to hit the golf shot. And one of the things that we talked a lot about last week when we played together, we played nine holes, and you were gracious enough to let me caddy for you and and sort of take you through what I how I approach tournament golf and you and you know it was fun for me because I I got to sort of say you know if you're here you want to go there and when you're there you're going to go here and and it has nothing to do with how well you swing it which you swing it beautifully but a lot of it is you get over the ball a lot of us do this you don't feel comfortable you swing away, and then you think, oh, dang, it went in the water over there on the right. I thought I was aimed plenty left, but you weren't. And as I said, I played with this guy yesterday. He was a very good ball striker, but I was surprised. He said to me, what about, because we're talking about intention. I said, I can tell you on every single shot, including chips, putts, bunker shots, I have an idea of what I'm trying to do. It doesn't always work out, but I'm trying to do something. You know, as opposed to just swinging in the wilderness. Well, the the very cool part of this is this is kind of like the part of what we'll call the mental part of the game that people don't get. They think they hit a shot, it went offline or whatever. They went, oh, my swing is off. I'm not swinging on plane or I'm not transferring my weight, all that stuff. Most of the time, the problem starts in the preparation phase or lack thereof. So they'll pick a, a shot. Let's talk about that hybrid that I had the on, on my practice round. Well, I I had a sense of tension and, and that I wasn't really convinced I could really hit this. So what happens? A very quick swing, full of tension. Well, you're going to hit that sucker offline. So was it was the problem that I don't have a tour swing? No. The the problem was that in my preparation, I was not aware of my lack of confidence in hitting that shot and that I had a high level of tension. So, so much of what you can make your game better and actually improve your swing is through really good preparation that allows you to to make a confident swing, to swing freely, and not to be have all this anxiety. Oh, did it go where I wanted it to? Did I hit it over the pond, et cetera, et cetera? Now, you describe that perfectly, too, that a lot of golf swings under pressure. And by the way, I say pressure is even if you're playing with your buddies and you've got a chance to go for the green in a par five or whatever it is, and there's a, an expectation. There's somebody at the door. Oh, there's an expectation. That's fine. I, I'm doing the show out of my house. Um, <laughs> That's what I love. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, whatever elevates your anxiety is pressure. But there's so much less anxiety associated with putting your ego aside whether you think you can get to the green or not the chances of you hitting the perfect shot at that moment are pretty rare but as you described in your tournament the reason you made par there and pars are great pars every day are great but in tournaments pars are fantastic because you sort of went okay i know what the hybrid can do and it can bring in some chaos but my seven iron and my wedge will get me a par with an option for birdie, and even if I three-putt, I'm just making bogeys, and bogeys are also okay. Absolutely, yeah. And, again, it's it's the funny thing is is that, um, well, what I, I was going to go with is that we can take advantage of this 
through a, a very good pre-shot routine. I work with a client this week who uh, he's, he's on his way to becoming a very good player, but he doesn't have, in essence, a pre-shot routine. So he doesn't have an area where he can come up to the ball and evaluate the lie, the yardage, all that stuff, commit, and then go and hit his shot. He's still trying to almost figure this stuff out while he's getting ready to hit the shot. Mm-hmm. And and you, you can't – you're just not going to bring yourself to the possibility of high performance in whatever you do if you're not – fully aware what's going on, what am I thinking, what am I feeling, and you haven't done the preparation work, and that you're kind of not really there. So much of it, again, is, is, for a golfer particularly, is, oh, I hope I don't hit it OB here. I hope I carry the pond. You're in the future, and thus you're unaware that you've got a death grip on the club, and <laughs> you couldn't hammer and nail up your... Pull with a hammer. Hey, now. Come on. Uh, Tim O'Connor, O'ConnorGolf.ca. Fresh blogs and coaching and uh, webinar hosting. If you need more information, you go to HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Usually we're in such a hurry to wrap up, but I'd like to thank uh, our guest today, Joe Shushat. Uh, Check him out. Mindful. Uh, He's a mindful caddy. Uh, As well as our friends at TaylorMade Golf. Visit TaylorMadeGolf.ca. Uh, to learn about the V-Steel sole and multi-construction of the Sim and Sim Max fairways. Look at that. We're almost done. Uh, all the best to you. Congratulations. Round one in the books, and apparently round two not until September. <laughs> <laughs> it's of, of 2021. No. <laughs> uh, by the way, after that 81, what place are you in? I'm in... Uh, I'm. I'm in, uh, it's either third or fourth. There you go. Huh? I'm in, sh- I'm in shouting distance. O'Connor with a chance to win. Uh, all the best. Like, to, like, like Glassman in his own. Whatever. Uh, we will, uh, see you all next week. Thanks to, uh, our friends at Bell, uh, for putting us on TSN 1150 and more shows. Go to the archives, uh, when you search Swing Thoughts on iTunes. A band is blowing Dixie, double fall time. Alright, when you hear the music